fruit that lasts. We're in a, a preaching series in Oasis Church. That's our catchy little number to get us to all pay attention. And I don't know about you, but every time it finishes, I want it to go on longer. So week on week, we'll probably get into that tune a little bit more. Let me start with a question for us all this morning. It's not a particularly deep or theological one. Simply this, who's your favorite comedian? Who's your favorite comedian? Is it, for example, one of the old boys, like Tommy Cooper, for the older generation that are here today? I think he's Tommy Cooper. Some of you like Tommy. Um, Morecambe and Wise, I know that that's not a singular comedian. There are two of them. But Morecambe and Wise, popular comedian from the 60s and 70s, like them, don't we? Any from the 80s where the, the, sort of the, the comedian began to rise to the surface of life? So we've got, who have we got from there? We've got Lenny Henry or Jack D. Jack D never smiles, does he? It's funny for a comedian. But there you go. Or, or, or one of the new wave of 90s comedians. Michael McIntyre, Sarah Milligan. You've got to say it like that, haven't you? Or uh, Miranda Hart. Yes, that's interesting. Oh, there you go. So that's the popular... Truth is, we all love a good laugh, don't we? And that is evidenced by the fact that recently, over the last few years, literally hundreds of thousands of people have started flocking to the UK's biggest venues, where normally rock and pop stars would go in order to gather massive crowds. People have been going just to see one man or one woman stand on a huge stage and make us laugh. We're all gagging for a laugh, if you'll excuse the pun. I quite like that. When was the last time? Yeah, that's what you're doing. That's what you do when you're a comedian. You wait for the laugh until it comes, and then you milk it when it does come. I've been watching these people, you see. We're gagging for a laugh. Keep it quiet, though. I'm not, I haven't worked out the little, you know, chipping back thing yet. When was the last time you had a good laugh? I mean, you're having a little bit of a one this morning, but not huge, you know, bend double laugh. A few weeks ago now, when all the uh, snow and ice was here, Adrian and I arrived at the Oasis Church for prayer meeting on a Thursday night, a meeting that if you know, if you come to you, you'll never not want to come to again. It's one of the best meetings that Oasis Church does. We arrived early in order to open up the blue gates because the blue gates were locked and there was a lot of snow and ice around. So we drew up in the car and Adrian sort of pulled up just a little bit away from the blue gates and directed me, as he often does, to get out of the car and go and open the gate. It was an organ grinder and monkey moment. So I faithfully, in humble reverence to our revered leader, got out of the car and started making my way towards the blue gate. As I went, I immediately slipped on some black ice and started flailing around like some you know, uncontrollable monkey. Now, this was quite a serious thing because many of you may know this and some of you may not, but I'm actually carrying a very severe knee injury at the moment. I know. I wanted to tell you this, A, to milk it for all it's got, and B, to let you know that I'm having an operation at the end of March, so that when you see me on crutches in March, you don't all think that I've fallen out of my loft or whatever it is I've done before. So I've, which I, I have fallen off a ladder, that's another story. Um, I'll wheel it out one of these days. Anyway, so I'm on the black ice, I'm all over the place, my knee's just about recovering. I, go, I look round to Adrian, who's strumming with his fingers on the steering wheel, sort of chuckling to himself a little bit. I said, Adrian, you might want to get out of the car and come and help sort of get some of this ice away and move some of the snow. Now, I'm, I'm dissing Adrian a little bit, but he did obviously very quickly get out of the car. He's that kind of guy, wanted to come and help. Got out of the car, he said, just be careful. He took no notice of me, which is often he often does. Started striding purposefully towards me at the Blue Gates, thinking he was the king of the winter weather in Birmingham. And because he was walking so quickly, he too hit the black ice. Now, at this point, forgive me, but I'm not normally one to laugh at other people's mishaps. But as his hands started wheeling backwards in the air and his head 
headed skywards. It looked like he was riding a bicycle upside down, and his legs were whirring around like there was no tomorrow, as though Edgbaston Cricket Ground had laid an invisible treadmill underneath the Blue Gates. And he was literally doing this, and the more he did it, the more he faster and faster he went, just did, like this. Now, I have to say, I enjoyed a thoroughly good laugh <laughs> at that moment in time at the expense of my friend and revered leader. When was the last time? When was the last time you had a really good laugh? Our subject this morning is joy. So you might expect potentially there to be a little bit of fun, a little bit of laughter in the mix, because don't joy, happiness and laughter all mix together? We're going to find out whether it does or not. We're in a series, as I've said, Fruit That Lasts in Oasis Church, based from the Bible, which we believe is the word of God to us, based from a book in the Bible called Galatians, a, a, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote from chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23. What is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23? I'm going to read it to us. And we're using this verse as a springboard to explore the fruits of the Spirit that are explained in this verse. So Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, it's short, says this. But the fruit of the Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And we're going to be looking at these fruits of the Spirit week on week. As we started last week, as Adrian introduced the series, we looked at love. Week on week, we're going to be looking at these other fruits of the Spirit. And we're going to look at all of them. And we're going to read this verse probably every week in order to look at all of them. Because it isn't like going to a fruit farm and say, I'll have some apples and I'll have some pears and I'll have some strawberries and say three of nine. God wants us to grow in all of these fruits. He wants us to have the whole basket of fruit in us working out so that other people can see God's glory through us. So we're looking at all the fruits of the Spirit. This morning, we're looking at joy. Now, the first part of this message, you'll probably think, where's the Bible in all of this? And that's all right, because I want us to try and come along a, a logical line of thought. I'll then start sort of painting some big pictures in terms of how God fits, it, fits into the mix in terms of joy. And then towards the end, we'll start sort of diving a little bit back into areas of the Bible in order to find out what we're, what we're learning. So let's start with a pretty obvious question, which is this. What is joy? What is joy? What is joy? Let's go to the dictionary stat, shall we? Which is a good place to start. And find out some definitions. Here is what the dictionary says. It says, joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something ex exceptionally good or satisfying. Or it's a cause or source of keen pleasure or delight. Or it's something or someone greatly valued or appreciated. So we've got words in there, in the dictionary definition of joy, like happiness, like delight, like pleasure, connected to something or someone. And I think most of us would probably agree with that definition of joy. And there's not much point disagreeing with the dictionary anyway, is there? Because they've, a lot of clever people have spent a lot of time working out the definitions that are in there. So that's what joy is. If that's what joy is, something about happiness and delight and pleasure connected to something or someone, how does it apply to us? What are the sorts of things that bring joy to us? And this is where my comedian angle comes in, because many people find joy in other people making them laugh. That's one thing that people find joy in. There's loads of other things that people find joy in as well. Here's some ideas. Relationships. 
relationships. Friends of ours in the church have recently had a little baby girl called Beth Anna. She's about a week old. She's a bundle of what? Joy. She poos like no tomorrow. She needs feeding every minute of the day. She's sleeping in and out, so there's some challenges involved. But to John and Katie who've had her, she is joy. There's relationships in joy. There's relationships in joy not just in children, but mums and dads, partners, husbands, wives, relationships with aunties and uncles, work friends, school friends, university friends, even friends, dare I say, in the church. Bring us joy, if we have any, that is. Relationships bring joy. Bill sounds like he hasn't got any, but that's all right. We love Bill. Oh, that's not fair, is it? What about nature? Nature's another place where we can find joy. A couple of times a year, myself and my outdoor pursuits leader, a guy in the church called Dave Gooding, head up to Snowdonia in order just to get blown away by the mountains. We just love the mountains. So we go up there and we do a bit of walking, we hang out, we chat. And as we arrive from the city into this arena of majesty, we're just blown away most times. It's amazing to come into something of the majesty and splendor of creation. And it isn't just mountains, is it? We've got beautiful, pearly seas that are calm and golden sand and, and jungle land forestry. We've got roaring oceans. We've got intricate plant and animal life. The whole gamut of nature catches our breath, which is why we like all the nature programs so much. It brings us a sense of joy. Then we have experiences. Experiences bring us joy, don't they? What sort of experiences? We've got sport. We've got film, we've got music, we've got theatre, we've got dance. I was at a, a piano recital on Thursday evening at my son's school. My son's school, uh, well actually it's the girls' school that's connected to it, have just bought a hugely expensive piano. I won't tell you how much it is, I find it embarrassing. And a 14-year-old prodigy, what was her name, Adelaide Yu, was playing this piano for the first time. And I tell you what, blew us away. Beautiful music on this piano. What an amazing experience. It brought us joy. We were very pleased to be there and totally in awe of this young lady. We all heard about the Olympics. We keep bringing out the Olympics as something that brought us immense joy. It did. Why? Because there were some exciting moments that we loved being part of as a nation that brought us to a sense of joint excitement and joint euphoria. Sport brings us joy. And then there's theatre and then there's film and then there's dance. All sorts of experiences bring us joy. What about food and drink? Anybody like food? Anybody like a nice drink? We like going to a decent restaurant, having a lovely meal, hanging out with our friends. It's a memory that lasts forever. It doesn't have to be a posh restaurant. I was at a, a meal on Friday night with some friends of mine. We had chicken curry, and it was delicious, and it was great fun. A meal, an experience of joy. Popularity and fame. Popularity and fame is the one that society most wants to point to today as the thing that will most bring us joy. It's why you've got these programs like The X Factor and uh, all the other ones that you can vote for people on. can't remember what they are. Popularity and fame. If you're popular and you have fame, then you'll be full of joy. Your life's sorted. And the truth of the matter is, if you were asked people like Leona Lewis or JLS or One Direction, if you ask them, are they now more joyful than they were before, I bet your bottom dollar is that they say they were. I think they enjoy it. A lot of people enjoy it. I know we could get into a debate about those that don't, but a lot of people, when they have fame and popularity and it's something in them they want, they absolutely love it. Popularity and fame can bring us joy. Final one, it's the big one probably, money. Pure hard cash. The more money we have, the more joyful we will become. Because money makes the world go round, and therefore the more money we have, the more we can do across our lifetime. 
We can see the world, we can enjoy the world, we can embrace the world's experiences. So these are the sorts of things that, if we're honest, bring us joy. And they do. And they're good things. I enjoy a lot of those things, particularly sport, because I support a team, as you know, who's always winning. Manchester United, just in case you were wondering. I'll come back to that later. It's been too long that Manchester United hasn't been involved in one of my preachers. I thought I need to change this and bring it back. Are these things that bring us joy, though, long-lasting? Do they bring joy that lasts? If we're in a series that's talking about fruit that lasts, are these things that I've just explained, things, experiences that bring us joy that lasts? I'd like to suggest to us that they don't. I'd suggest they do bring us joy, but not lasting joy. So relationships, of course, they can be a source of amazing joy. But what happens when they get broken? What happens when they mess up, foul up, we become estranged? All of a sudden, the joy that we had becomes the most painful experience that we've ever had. So a relationship can bring joy, but can also be a source of great pain. What about nature? We love nature. We've just agreed that we do. But what about when nature brings a disaster and then we all hate it to pieces and we're asking questions about why it should be so and how come so many people have been hurt? What about exciting experiences like the Olympics? We love the Olympics and then all so quickly the Olympics fades into a memory and we're waiting for the next Olympics and the next set of gold medals and the next sporting experience like the Six Nations or whatever's coming our way this weekend. We want another one. It's temporary joy, food and drink. Lovely meal on Friday night, chicken curry with my friends, but I'm looking forward to Sunday lunch today. I want another meal. I'll enjoy another meal. It's joy that's temporary. Popularity and fame. You can be the best person in the world with the most accolade. Leona Lewis, JLS, One Direction. But what about when you lose it? And that does happen. You end up on the rubbish heap of the forgotten hero. And what a bad place that is for people who've known fame and fortune and suddenly are no longer in the public eye. There is a whole load of people I could mention that actually seem inappropriate for me to do so that have ended up in that world. You only have to look at Celebrity Big Brother to find out who they are. It's true though, isn't it? Money. You can have all the money in the world and still be the loneliest man. That's what Freddie Mercury said. Lead singer of the Queen, pop group. Rich beyond all fame and fortune, still broken inside. So these things, they bring us joy, but do they bring us joy that lasts? That's the question. And if joy is found in something or someone, a source, and we're looking for joy that lasts, then here's the logical argument. How about we look for something or someone that lasts, that is everlasting, that never runs out, that doesn't stop or start, but's always there? Is there something or someone like that in life? An everlasting source of joy? The answer to that question is yes, there is. Who is it? It's God. God, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the everlasting one, the eternal one, the ongoing one, the never-ending one, the one who's always there and always will be. The Bible says that God is an everlasting source of joy. And if God is an everlasting source of joy, then possibly, perhaps... The joy that can be found in him can be everlasting. It can be joy that lasts. It can go on and on and on and on forever. So we're following through a logical argument here which says that if joy can be found in something and some of the things that we've looked at are temporary and not long-lasting, but joy is everlasting, what sort of joy, if there is joy to be found in God, 
does God bring? What sort of joy does God bring? And this has come out in our worship, I think, this morning a little bit. Because the sort of joy that God brings is an assurance that we're known and loved as human beings. Known and loved as human beings. This is a quote we keep rolling out at Oasis Church. And it's by Michael Jackson, who in October 2009 gave a lecture, yes, I did say that, a lecture at Oxford University. Now, who knows whether he wrote the script or not, but he said this at that, at that lecture, which Adrian shared last week as he preached on the subject of love. He said this, if you enter this world knowing you're loved and you leave this world knowing the same, then everything that happens in between can be dealt with. Enter the world knowing you're loved, end up knowing you're loved. Everything in between, if you know you're loved, can be dealt with. That is what God gives us, a knowledge, a certainty that we're loved. And all of a sudden, these other things that are temporal in nature become less important because knowing we're loved is the trump card. So we can know we're loved, and if we've got loads of money or no money at all, it doesn't really matter because our security is not in our money, our identity is not in our money, whether we have it or whether we don't have it. Our identity is in knowing we're loved by God. We have value, we have security, we have identity. We can be standing on the top of the most amazing mountain in the world, gazing at the splendor of creation, or we could be locked in the deepest, darkest dungeon, like the Apostle Paul was when he wrote the letter to the Philippians from a dungeon probably in Rome, and still know that he's loved, still know that we're loved. And therefore, we're not, our joy is not in the thing that we're looking at, it's in the fact that we're known that we're loved. We can have the most amazing experiences in life, incredible experiences in life, like having children if we're able to do that, like enjoying sport. 1999 for me, here it comes. United wins the treble, an amazing moment in my life. I shall never forget it. I was standing with my finger on the button of the television set as Bayern Munich were up 1-0 with about two minutes to go. It was the end of an impossible dream. I was literally standing there with my finger on the telly because I couldn't quite face switching it off before the end of the game. And in those two minutes, United score two goals and we win the amazing treble. I was dancing around the room. People were ringing me up on the phone. It's an amazing experience. I can hold that experience alongside last season when on the last kick of the, kick of the season, United blow the title and City win it. The extremes of emotion. But hey, I know I'm loved by God. It's only a sport. It's temporary joy or it's temporary pain. In God, my joy is set firm. Knowing we are loved is the key to expressing a sense of the knowledge of joy in our lives. Selwyn Hughes suggests this in a book that he wrote. He said, if you concentrate on being a joyful person, joy will actually elude you. But if you concentrate on being a loved person, joy will will characterize you. I thought that's interesting, isn't it? Try and be a joyful person and you'll miss it. Just embrace the fact that you're loved and you'll get it. It's why joy is the second of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because joy is a byproduct of love. Love, joy. You have joy because you know you're loved. I know that I'm loved by my wife, who's not here today, and I have joy as a result of that. That's how it works. And so actually the foundation for looking at joy is looking at love, which is why we started with love last week, but it's also why 
Paul wrote it in the Bible, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, judgment, and self-control. What does it look like then? If God is the bringer of love, how does he bring it? Now this is where I've got to point you to Adrian's message. If you haven't had a chance to, go and listen to that message on the Oasis Church website. It's a message around love, and I don't want to regurgitate all that message. But a foundation of love brings us into a sense of joy. And if, it's almost pointless me talking about joy today unless we're understood that we're loved, which is why the two go together, but I'm not going to regurgitate that. What I will do if we weren't here last week or we, or we hadn't had an opportunity to listen to the message is say, okay, what can I do quickly to point us to an understanding of the knowledge that we're loved by God? What can I do quickly? I'll tell you what I can do quickly. I can introduce Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He's the one to look at very, very quickly. Why? Because he's the epitome of love. Paul read out that passage earlier on about Jesus giving up the riches of heaven, humbling himself to come and live amongst us as a man in order to rescue us from our sin, says in the Bible. That's Jesus demonstrating love. It was a determined love. He knew what he was heading for, but nevertheless, he wanted to come and do it because he loved us so much. Determined love. Give up the riches of heaven, come and live like one another, like, like us consistent love when Jesus is here on planet earth what does he do he loves people from all different walks of society from different cultures from different life experiences people came to Jesus he never once turned them away he loved them all he was popular with all different rafts of society rich and poor alike he was consistent in his love we've got his restoring love what did Jesus do when he was here on planet earth he did a lot of healing a lot of healing a lot of people with a lot of pain met Jesus and the pain dissipated, went away. He restored them. He gave them new life. He reintegrated people into society, into the community that were themselves alienated from that community or that society. That's a restoring love that Jesus gives us. We've got his powerful love. Powerful love, authority. Over all creation, Jesus takes command and brings help to people. So he turns water into wine at a party. That's a nice trick. I'll have some of that. He turns bread into multiples of bread at picnics. He raises people from the dead. He, he, he causes storms that are raging and people in them to be fearful to come because he doesn't want people to be fearful in them. That's the sort of powerful love that Jesus demonstrates to people. And then, of course, the big one, sacrificial love the sacrificial love of Jesus who took beating torture, persecution wrong accusation ultimately crucifixion on the cross painful horrible agonizing a long, slow and dreadful death in order that we don't have to die taking the punishment for our sins so that we don't have to we sung it in that song he bore our cross he took our place. All that we sing, we sing for Jesus because of what he's done for us. That's the love of Jesus. So if we can look no further and we don't have to spend hours looking at it, let's just look at Jesus and say, man, that sounds like huge love. Jesus did that for you and for me. He did it for me. I know it. He did it for you. Do you know it? Because if you do know it, that might, just might, bring a slight little smile to your face. Man, that sounds like good news. Could it be joy? Could it be? That's the love that God has for us. So in summary, quickly, I warned us, it would be a bit of a logical progression 
through some big themes. What is joy? We've seen that joy is found in relationships. It's found in nature. It's found in experiences, food and drink, fame and popularity and money, but it's all temporary. If we're looking for joy that lasts, we need to look for it in a source that lasts. God is eternal. He's one to look at. What sort of joy does he, he bring? He brings joy based on us knowing that we're loved. What sort of love does he bring? Overwhelming love. And all of a sudden we're starting to think, man, this sounds interesting. Tell me more about joy. Tell me more about God. Well, I'm glad you're asking that question because that's what I'm going to do. Some of you are thinking, oh no, please stop, Gus. And there's about four or five of you thinking, great, I'm looking forward to this. But seriously, that's the big picture. Now let's drill down into some things that hopefully will help us to grow in joy. Because let us remember, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit that works within us that brings this fruit out. We can't make it happen. We can partner with God. Adrian used the illustration last week of the Holy Spirit leading us, but us going with the Holy Spirit's leading in step with him. That's important. We can't make joy happen, but we can look to grow in it with God's help. So how are we going to do that? I've got what I call four joy blockers and four joy backers that we may just about have time to get through if I go through them really quickly. Four joy blockers and four joy backers. What are the joy blockers? First one, misplaced confidence. This is a little bit of what I've been saying already. I'm just trying to reiterate the point. Paul, I've mentioned him, writing probably from Rome, a letter to the Philippians in a dungeon. He writes this in Philippians 3 verse 1. He says, rejoice in the Lord. He says in Philippians 4 verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Or in fact, I'll say that again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul is saying that our only source of joy should be God. We can find joy in other things, but it's temporary. But hey, if we rejoice in the Lord, that's everlasting and will bear fruit that lasts. So fruit, joy in the Lord is the key point here. Now, I love this little illustration. I hope you do as well. When Jesus sends the 72 out in Luke chapter 10, he sends them out on a mission. And the mission that he sends them out on is to heal, to preach, and to cast out demons. This is followers of Jesus that Jesus is sending out on a mission. Heal, preach, cast out demons. A little bit nerve-wracking. Why? Because when you go with a message to heal or a message to preach or a message to cast out demons, it's a little bit nerve-wracking. Whenever I preach in other churches, not all that often, but when I'm doing, asked to do some healing ministry, all of a sudden I'm exposed to the grace of God in that moment. I can't make it happen, but I'm going to go for it, but I feel a little bit nervous whether anything's going to happen or not. So Jesus sends the disciples off, and then he sends them off with these really encouraging words. Go, I'm sending you like lambs amongst wolves. Well, thank you very much, Jesus. I'm already nervous. I'm already a little bit worried. I'm already worrying whether we're going to have the exercise of the faith in order to do this amazing stuff. And now you're saying, go on, little lammies. Out you go. There's some wolves out there and they're going to devour you. Can you imagine what it must have felt like? A little bit nerve-wracking. A little bit worrying. Off they go. They come back. They must have had a great good go, you know. Because in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it says that they returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. What did, you, what did Jesus say in response to that? He said, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. That's good. Their work was calling Satan's work to dissipate. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. That's good. They've seen God at work doing some amazing things. 
He said, nothing will harm you. That sounds exciting. And then he said, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And what he's saying there is, don't rejoice in good works, even though they're good. Rejoice in the fact that you're known and loved by me. Misplaced confidence in the wrong things. Even the good things that we do, and if we're Christians here today, we may think our ministry is good, and that can be the thing that we rejoice in. God says, don't rejoice in that. Just rejoice in the fact that you're known and loved by me. Misplaced confidence, that's the first thing. Second thing, wrong living, very quickly. Wrong living. Hopefully we're getting the point by now that joy is found in knowing God. That's where our joy is found. If we're out of communion with God, if we're up to whatever that breaks our communion with God, that is going to be a joy blocker. A little bit like if a child disobeys a parent, there becomes a break in the relationship. I know it can work the other way as well. I often cause my children pain by doing wrong things that upset them. But I prefer the other way around because I'm the parent and the, you know, the kids need to obey according to the Bible. But there's a broken communion, isn't there? There's a broken relationship in wrong living. David in the Bible, King David, perhaps many of us will know, he committed murder and committed adultery as part of his kingly regime. Man who was favoured by God, chosen by God, messed up massively. In Psalm 32, he talks about some of the weight that he felt during that process of what he'd done. He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. He, can feel, he could feel the weight of what he'd done on his life. In Psalm 51, as he talks about this a little bit further, he says to God, restore to me the what? The joy of your salvation. Because he's messed up. Wrong living can cause us to be blocked off from God. Blocked off in the knowledge and the love of God that we have, but when we do things wrong, we think, not sure. That can become a joy blocker. Next one's God's discipline, very quickly. We don't like discipline. Pretty obvious thing to say, isn't it? We accept that it's there in life, but we don't like it. If we're driving along one of the roads in Birmingham, I'm sure none of you have done this, but I know I have. Driving along, say, the Pershore Road, go past that little yellow box that's there on the left-hand side as I'm driving along to Edgbaston Cricket Ground, it flashes, you think, oh, speeding. You can immediately check your speedometer just to make sure that if the police do stop, you can say, I was only doing 33 and not 34 or 35 or whatever. But as soon as the light flashes, we're thinking, I hope there's not a camera in the yellow box or I hope there's no film in the yellow box because we don't like the discipline that comes with doing things wrong. None of you clearly have ever speeded in your life because you're looking at me completely <laughs> blankly. Godly people that you are. There's a little bit of joy. There's a little bit of joy in going to the driving defensively seminar thing that you can go to, spending 90 quid or whatever it is and getting off having the penalty points if you're caught speeding. There's a little bit of joy in that, I'd concede. Only a little bit. The real joy is found in when you're let off completely and the flash was only a flash and nothing else. God brings discipline. We don't like it, but he does bring it. Hebrews 12, verse 6 says this, Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those that he loves. If we're going through discipline, it can be a joy blocker, but don't let it be because God loves us through it. 
It's God's fathering heart for us in order to change us more and more to be like Jesus. Fourth one, trial of faith. What's a trial of faith? It's not discipline. Trial of faith is a journey that God allows us to go on, that he's going to journey on with us in, even though life's really hard. Vince and Debbie Ricketts, we keep using them as our example, two years of battling with cancer, when they shared three or four Sundays back now, all we heard was, it was tough, but God was good. It was tough, but God was good. I hated life, but God was good. I felt like dying, but I clung, clung on to my God. I was chatting to someone else in the Oasis Suite this week. I've been chatting to one or two people about how this joy message works for them. And this person was going through some really tough times that I'm not going to share with you the detail of. But they said, you know what? I've got into a deeper, richer, more meaningful understanding of the love of God for me. That's a trial of faith. It can be a joy blocker because it can take you out unless you turn your eyes to Jesus and say, come and help me, Lord. That can be a joy blocker. So those are the four joy blockers. I do want to get to the backers because those are the things that can lift us up and cause us some encouragement. What are they? They're simple. First one, the word of God. The word of God. It's a tonic. It's rich in bringing joy to us. If we don't know the word of God and we don't apply the word of God in our lives, if things begin to take us out, circumstances in life, we will become a joyless people because we won't know the promises of God in our lives. When I was a, a, a post-student, I got my maths degree in Leicester, I was looking for work, I was temping around, I was asked whether I'd be a hospital porter for a couple of days in a hospital in Leicester that was for people with mental behavioural difficulties. At the time, I was really struggled with people of that kind. I didn't like the unpredictability of working with people that might you know, punch me without me even knowing that it was coming. That was the truth of it. So I was asked to do the job, needed the money, didn't know whether I could do that or not, I thought better have a go. But I was at the time learning a verse, which is Philippians 4 verse 13, which simply says this, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And I just used to quote it to myself all day long, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And you may say, Gus, it's only being a porter in a hospital, get a life. But to me, that verse brought joy to my world for two days. There is power in the word of God. Psalm 62 verse 1 and 2, couple of my favorite verses my soul finds rest in God alone my salvation comes from him he alone is my rock and my fortress he is my salvation I shall never be shaken I often quote that to myself as I'm driving along as I'm meeting with people whatever God is my rock not this world the word of God we sung another one this morning isn't it we I mean the funny thing about these songs is we, we sing them as though we're waving our hands in joyful celebration but Romans 8, 28, 28, God works for the good of those who love him. That's a great verse, but it's a hard one. Because generally that verse works when we're really struggling, when we're not feeling joyful, when we're feeling unloved or unknown, or as though our world is going to turn upside down, or life, just life, happens to us. And we're not protected as Christians from life. We're exposed to it, so bad things can happen to us. It doesn't protect us from them just because we're Christians. But when they happen and we're feeling like bits, God says, hey, I'm still working for the good of those who love me. I'm still working for the good of you. You can't see it, but I am doing it. And when we look at that verse and we let it dwell in us, all of a sudden we think, man, that's good news. Thank you, God. A bit of joy comes to town. So the word of God. Second, worship. Why do we come to worship on a Sunday? I'll tell you why we come to worship on a Sunday. Because it's an opportunity for us to move away from our self-centered lives to God-centered ones. And when we concentrate on a God-centered world, all of a sudden life comes into perspective. 
So we can sing these wonderful words of truth and we find that our spirit starts to engage with God's Holy Spirit and we think, actually, life's a lot better than I thought it was when I walked in the door this morning. God meets us where we're at because we're worshipping him and giving him praise and giving him glory. Worship is a joy backer. It brings joy. Did you find God bringing you into a sense of joy and peace this morning as we worship, particularly as he started speaking to us about love for us again? Worship. Prayer is another one. Prayer and then I fin- one more and then I finished. This is a tweet from D.L. Moody this week. It wasn't him himself who tweeted because he's dead. American evangelist, just in case, was seeing if any of you knew that. It was retweeted, but still wasn't retweeted from D.L. Moody. <laughs> D.L. Moody said this, I'd rather be able to pray than be a great preacher. Jesus never, Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, but only to pray. Ooh, that's, that's good, isn't it? That's good. As I was preparing to preach, I thought, hmm, pray. I need to pray. And when we pray, when we go up to our room, when we shut the door, as the, as the word says, and pray to our Father who's unseen, it just feels like a tremendous weight falls off, falls off us when we do that. I often go to God and share my heart with him, and it all falls off. And I just think there's a tremendous sense of I've left it at the feet of Jesus, if you can be comfortable with that expression. God can meet all our needs, and God can meet all of everybody else's needs as well. So if we bring them to God, it's a good thing to do. And it starts to bring a sense of peace, a sense of relief, and a sense of joy. God, you can do it, and you will. Prayer. And then finally, people. People. Isn't it good to be around joyful people? I think it is. I like being around joyful people. I really enjoy working around the Oasis Suite because most of the time we're mucking around. (laughs) We do do work. (laughs) We're often accused of not taking ourselves very seriously. And do you know what? That's true. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We are very serious about what we're doing. And we do have a gospel message that we want to proclaim to the city. Don't get me wrong. But hey, we know we're not the answer to everything. And so we have a bit of a laugh. We have a bit of fun. And I love being around people that love God and love a bit of fun. Because that's what we should be. We should be a light and bright people. Let me encourage us. We're like that as Oasis Church. I'll tell you how I know. Because there's a guy here called Noel. And Noel, if you ever listen to this message on the web, you're very welcome around us. But Noel, he will come around us. He's the logistics manager here at Oasis Church. And he'll talk to us, me and Adrian, about the fact that the happy people are around on a Sunday. We are the happy people. We make Noel happy. And I'll tell you what, and Noel would agree with this, wouldn't you, Noel, that sometimes you're not particularly happy yourself. (laughs) He said that to us. He can be really grumpy. We're the happy people. We've got joy. It's great to be happy. Keith, who's often on the security gate during the summer, one of the security people that waves us around when we can't park here on the ground on a Sunday, he loves the fact that we're happy and bright and smiley when we're doing the walk of witness and showing the love of Jesus to people. We're a happy people. However, there probably might be one or two of us amongst us that might think, well, I'm not that happy. And if that is you, well, that's all right. Know that you are, but apply some of these truths, and you might find joy starting coming out of you. So those are four joy backers. I'm going to conclude. I'm going to conclude with this one question. And the one question is a question that as I was talking about this preach, as I've mentioned already with a couple of other people in Oasis Church this week, one of them asked me this question. He said, Gus, What would you like to see in people in Oasis Church to evidence that joy really is a fruit that we're growing in as a church? I thought, why don't you do the preach? (laughs) What a good question that is. 
to be asked by one of the one of the church members. What do we want to see in us that marks us out as a people that have got joy in us? What what are we looking for? And as I thought about that, I've come up with three words, and they're these: fun, honesty, and consistency. Fun I've just mentioned a little bit of. We need to be a people that are light and bright and full of fun. If we're not, why on earth would anybody ever want to come and be part of us? If you're looking in here this morning, if you're not a believer of Jesus, you're just checking church out, and you're seeing a whole load of grumpy, ugly, well, that's just me, <laughs> disinterested people, then I, I, I'd agree that you can quite happily walk away. If you're seeing something of joy and fun and lightness, then perhaps you might be intrigued as to why that is. Fun, we need to be a people of fun. Are we? I think on the whole we are. Honest. That's another one that I think is really important. We need to be honest because life throws at us loads of different difficult stuff, and it does. And if we pretend that it's not there and just say, oh, God is good, hallelujah. Oh, dear me, I broke my foot today, praise Jesus. You know, I've done a knee, my knee in, glory to God. That's what people do sometimes. And when I meet those type of people, I think, are you real? When I hurt my, I'm milking my knee a bit, I know. When I hurt my knee, it hurt. <laughs> I did say, Lord, help me in this moment. But it wasn't, oh, hallelujah, can't play football for 18 months. Glory to God. I'm actually praying, Lord, give me strength to cope with the fact that I can't run around on a football pitch until December of this year. Let's be honest about how we're doing. That's all right. And then finally, consistent. In our fun and in our honesty, let's be consistent. What does that mean? This is where we do put our hands in the end and say, look, I know that God loves me, and whatever life throws at me, God is good, God is faithful, God is my rock, God will support me. I'm not going to be flailed around by every wind of change, I'm going to stay rock solid certain in the knowledge of the love of God for me. It's a consistency in the belief in who we have as our Lord and Saviour. Fruit that lasts, joy that lasts, I trust that it may be something that we can apply in our lives and ask God to help us with in the week that's ahead. Why don't we stand and I'll pray, pray briefly and we'll close. Lord, we want to remind ourselves today, again, as you've reminded us, how much you love us Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that sacrificial love, evidenced by your Son, being given to us as a gift, dying for us, rescuing us, clothing us in robes of righteousness, writing our names in your book of life, knowing that our future, our security, all that we are is in you. We thank you for that, God. Thank you that we're rooted in you. And nobody and nothing can take that away from us today. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you're a rock, you're our fortress. You are our salvation. Lord, we want to say it, we want to remember it, we want to rejoice in it, we want to sing it because it's true. And the more that we do, the more we realize how good it is. Thank you, God. Lord, help us as we drink that in with the help of your Holy Spirit to become people that are more and more filled with this fruit of joy so that we can be people seen by others to be those certain of who we are, certain that we're loved, and certain that we have a future that's secure in you, so that we can draw other people to find you, who's the eternal source of that joy. Help us, I pray. Help us to be sharp. Help us to be aware of others. Help us to be people that aren't grumpy, but are fun, that are honest, 
and that are consistent. In your name be glorified. Amen. Amen. Guys, if you want to go and get your kids, uh, that would be a blessing to them. So rush to go get your kids. If anybody wants prayer for anything,